Hi, friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here with my friend, Maura Kutniak. Kutniak. Pretty good. How, how'd I do? Good try. Good try. <laughs> now you pronounce it. Kutniak. Kutniak. I'm saying Maura's last name with my Buffalo accent. Um, so... Mora is here as an intellectual wanderer. That's the way she describes herself. Um, and I am Kelsey Novitz, your host, and we are here in episode 24 of Womankind. So, Mora, welcome. Hi, thanks for inviting me to come on. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, just kind of an overview of your story, Mora. An overview. Um, okay, so I, I am born and raised in Buffalo. Um, I bought a house, I, I wandered around the world for a while and then ultimately landed back here, you know, to couple up with a Kenmore native guy and then we bought our house one block from where I grew up. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I thought I was so cool and I was traveling the world and then came home and re-anchored. Wait, where did you go? Um, in my early 20s I went, well, so I spent a couple months when I was like 22, I think, traveling. I spent like six weeks in London and then a couple weeks in Ireland and then in Holland for maybe 10 days, I can't remember. Oh wow. And um, yeah, that was like at the, um, what do I wanna say, the, the edge of a sort of emotional crisis I had had that was, I was like, I don't know, just kinda lost, didn't know what I was doing and I happened to, have a little bit of money land in my lap, and so I was like, I'm gonna run away! Yeah. <laughs> so right. that was then. And, yeah, came back, and, and, uh... Was that a solo trip? It was a solo trip. Mm. Yeah, it was. And, uh, but, yeah, so I sort of for a while had a... It, this is a huge digression already. That is fine. I'm trouble. into digressions. <laughs> <laughs> Just, for a while I dated, like, only gentlemen from all other countries, any other country. And that, that kind of comes back to the point that it was just sort of funny that ultimately the person, my, my, my soulmate here is <laughs> just like, Kenmore, you know, <laughs> Western New York, Brad. Anyway. Yeah, right down the road from yeah, where exactly. you grew up. All this time I ran around the world looking for someone. And anyway. there he was. Yeah. Anyway. So then you guys ended up here. So now... We're actually on location today. Normally yeah. we're in North Buffalo, but now we're here on the west side of Buffalo. Where the magic happens. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of, yeah, that that was uh, when we crashed into each other, uh, and shortly thereafter, somehow I got pregnant, <laughs> and then that, yeah, spun into the life we now have together, and um, it's pretty great. I We have a couple kids, and I managed to... Start and finish a bachelor's degree there at around 30 I started it and um, just graduated this past spring with a degree in health and wellness from Buff State and now I am an MPA student which no one, no one seems to know what that means including the host. Right I did not know but she's going to tell us right now. I'm talking a lot. Um, it, yeah. is a, it is about you though so you will be talking a lot. Is that, you didn't tell me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so master's in public administration. Public administration is a, a branch of political science, but even to describe it that way could be a bit controversial because there's sort of a debate that asks, you know, 
which leads to which or which is more important, political science, which is more theory and the developing of laws, or, you know, administration, which is the actual application of those laws, the interpretation by the people, you know, of the laws. Like, you know, in just your average government agency. Mm -hmm. So that's what public administration does, and there's just kind of this back and forth between poli-sci and public administration about it. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I've learned for the first time with, you know, ten minutes ago. Um, but can't they work together? Can't these things be, like, symbiotic and feed from each other? This is a question that I've asked, and, <laughs> and it sort of just seems to be accepted. So I... I, this was, this past semester was just a full, like, neck-deep immersion in this, in this stuff. And I have no, you know, I really wasn't a history person. I don't know much about political science and the theory that, you know, is the foundation for it. So I kind of would ask, like, why, this seems stupid that there's an argument over this. But <laughs> apparently it is. And I think one, one way it was described to me is that it's kind of, almost can come down to, like, uh, vying for students in departments of colleges oh, okay. in a way. That so, makes like, sense. they have to distinguish themselves in order to draw mm -hmm. crowds of, you know, certain people, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's one explanation. I don't understand, really. I think it's the political scientists like to think that they're more heady, you mm -hmm. know, all thinking, like, theory and... Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. Kelsey, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there is, like, unrest like this in some way, and no matter what field you're in, like, mm -hmm. certain things competing and departments competing and things kind of clashing a little bit. Yeah. Um, but a follow-up question, what would be a job that you could do with <laughs> a public administration degree versus a political science degree? That is what a great idea question. I really need to ask my advisor. Um, <laughs> so, um, so there's a few answers, I think. So mm -hmm. a political science degree, you're more likely to end up as a lawmaker in some way mm -hmm. or working for a lawmaker or just involved in, in, in that end of it. Public administrators would be like this degree is intended as a management degree where you would work in any number of government offices and basically have an understanding of how money is distributed, the connection between government and nonprofits, which is kind of enormous. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we all fully know that, or I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So having an overall understanding of all of that, mm -hmm. how it comes together, and then up, and, and interpreting laws and actually carrying them out. Again, mm -hmm. it's like the, the street-level bureaucrat. That's mm -hmm. how we would be described. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So what inspired you to go into this field? How did you choose? How did I choose? So I had gotten into the MSW program at UB, mm -hmm. and so that was going to be what I was doing this past fall. And I just had a bad feeling about it. I didn't really like the idea of one-on-one -on -one therapeutic or just client-focused work. I was more interested in management and planning and evaluation that types of those those types of things mm -hmm. um so so more like the policy level than yeah more one-on-one -on -one level agency policy and mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah so I just and I got an I just got an email you know they knowing I had graduated Buff State sent me various spam mm -hmm. um requests for 
you know, like telling me about the programs they had. So I just happened to get one about the MPA. It sounded good. It was well written. <laughs> you know, it was the fact that it was well written and not didn't sound stupid. <laughs> wow, they got you. They got right. Oh, grammar. <laughs> so yeah, so I applied to it. I had gotten into both and then was kind of tortured by trying to decide which one. And mm-hmm. then yeah, ultimately chose this. Didn't really know if I would like it, and I just I loved it actually. Oh, awesome. I do love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a like advisor a question that an advisor would ask you so I'm sorry for putting you on the spot but what do you hope to do with it and you you might not know and that's okay good question Mm -hmm. I'd I'd love to at some point write a grant and be Mm -hmm. able to administer it you know I'm okay another aspect of our lives mine and my family's is we are circus arts performers Mm -hmm. so and the studio which is the bird's nest Circus Arts here in Buffalo, the one we are most closely affiliated with. Um, I am working with a group. We're, we're looking at becoming a nonprofit and ultimately, hopefully, working in schools and basically kind of removing some of the barriers that many people might have to accessing this type of highly specialized physical training. So, so yeah, so that's a short term goal would be to help them uh, incorporate as a nonprofit and get that business going. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately I'm interested in possibly law school after this, and then that coupled with the MPA, I don't even know. I just hopefully get a really great job. That sounds great. (laughs) That sounds like a great plan. I like that. Thanks. (laughs) So we are going to talk about the aspect of your life that you just mentioned. So Maura and I go way back, and one of the things that we've done together over the years is we actually took belly dancing classes together. It was very fun. We were in a recital um, but for Mora, part of her life is performing and being engaged in these dance art type of opportunities. So tell us a little bit about some of those things that you're engaged in now. Yeah, so most of my time is taken up with aerial arts, as I kind of referenced. There's probably 50 ways you could refer to it, but broadly it would be circus arts. I am an aerialist, which means um, I do a form of dance. Uh, in the air. (laughs) I mostly use a vertical apparatus, which is a large piece of fabric that has two strands which hang down to the ground, and you climb it and wrap in it, and you can do all kinds of, like, you know, contorted shapes and drops and spins and different things. And this is all largely taught to me by my husband. He is the pioneer in our family to learning this particular form of dance. Um, I did burlesque for a while. I've taken ballet and um, belly dance with Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, yeah, discovered dance as kind of an adult. And I was like, thanks, Mom and Dad. Why didn't you know when I was little that I liked to dance? (laughs) Um, But I must say, the... Aerial silk. I, I you guys have one set up in your house, and I've tried before to pull myself up on it, and didn't even make it an inch off the floor. So it does require a huge amount of strength. <laughs> it does. I was I hated it at first. I was just like, this is ridiculously difficult and painful, and I'm a weak noodle that is that will just fail forever. So that's how I felt at first. And then, I don't know, I think I felt angry that I felt so defeated by it, so I kept trying, and I remember the day, it was at the end of my first semester of college, like, almost five years ago, I guess, um, where 
I climbed up one full climb. So maybe my feet were like four feet off the ground. And I was like, <gasps> it was like Mount Everest. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe it because climbing was so incredibly difficult. I couldn't coordinate it. I didn't understand. So. And how long did it take you to get to that point? I don't remember. Um, I really don't know. I, I mean, it wasn't like five years, right? <laughs> no, no, it was probably, I don't know. It might have been a month of earnest trying. Okay. But... I can't recall. It was May, so I'm not really sure how much time we had had because we had a, we had one hanging off of a tree branch in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So that was my moment. No one was there. I was alone, so no one even Aww. saw it to clap. Well, now you're uh, well, we're clapping for you now, Laura. <laughs> you forgot to describe my evening evening gown, also, Kelsey. Your evening gown. What yeah. do you mean? Well. My fancy outfit that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> well, we're both dressed very fancy right now. Yeah, we are, just so you know. Yeah, sparkly. Oh, you know. Sorry, another digression. <laughs> you know, some people might say that I have a face for radio. Ah, uh, yes, me too. I put on my radio face. I brushed my teeth. Oh, okay. I really did, though. I was like, oh, um... It felt like it would make me more prepared. Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny things like that? How they make they do make you feel like you're ready. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll admit I didn't really brush my hair because I no. knew I'd be recording mm-hmm. a podcast. No, nope, crumpled mine into a ball and <laughs> tied a thing around it. Mm-hmm. So what you, you've talked about this a little bit, but what role did all of this performing take on for you in your life? It was it was so much fun. Burlesque was delightful and hard, and we had a troupe called the Bow Floozies, which was sort of a reference. I don't know if anyone. Let me just say it again: the Bow Floozies. Okay, just giving listeners a chance. Okay, to think think it over. (laughs) So it was, you know, Bow Floove is like the French name for buffalo, which means beautiful river. So okay. that's like kind of like a very weak description of the origin of the name of our city. I, I, I haven't researched it recently, but I recall that. And that was I was the, having this conversation with someone recently, and it's something along those lines. Yeah. And it's not associated with the animal yeah. in any way. Yeah, it's Beauflu, beautiful river, like mm-hmm. referring to the Niagara River, and so the Beaufluzies. Yeah, anyway. So we, that was really fun. I was really into the comedy aspect. I wasn't great at the like sexy time aspect. Mm -hmm. I liked the silly kind of blooper parts of it, but it was an opportunity to dance and be creative. And ultimately it was what lit a fire under me to go back to school (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I was spending so much money on like costumes and fun (laughs) and it was taking up a lot of time. And I was like, I don't think this is going to necessarily like elevate my life or family ultimately in the way that I think I wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's not going to create the opportunities that I was hoping mm-hmm. to help create. And so school and going back to school would. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So again, it was another one of these, I guess I have these like epiphany slash crisis, emotional crisis moments that spur me to do things. Mm-hmm. So this was where I just realized like how much time burlesque was taking and how school might be a good answer to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I do remember I... Th- you were in a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream yes. at the Tri-Main Center. Did you come And to I that? did come to that, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was a, a little crude, but 
hilarious and so good. I can't believe you came to that. <laughs> that was the last thing I did. That was, was the it? last production that I was in. Wow. And it was like kind of my biggest role. I didn't have actually like a, a I didn't do a number in that. I was the character of um, Puck. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's so a huge, just, that's one of the biggest roles in it. He's I guess so, yeah. the master of mischief it in was A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. It was fun to be an audience member at that. It was great. Oh, you're making you're giving me goosebumps. I was invited to do another burlesque show actually coming up in the end, beginning of February. Um, but I'll let your audience members know. I, I I said yes to it, and then shortly thereafter discovered I was pregnant again. Mm. So I'm just like not feeling the like dance around in public vibe at the moment. <laughs> so I probably won't do it. Oh, okay. well, anytime in the future, let us know, and oh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully we'll, our listeners will come out and see you. I'm sure they will. I am just, not that, well, no, it won't air in time. Never mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, we're, we're going to miss whatever it is. They, um, <laughs> well, at the Bird's Nest, just to bring them up again, we're, we've been doing these quarterly open mics, and it's really a beautiful experience. It's just, like, very open and warm and allows people an opportunity to explore you know, their own vulnerability and just expose themselves a bit. Um, and so we're doing one coming up and I'm going to MC for the first time. Ooh. And so I'm excited and kind of nervous and not preparing really much. And I'm like, hmm, maybe I should. <laughs> but I don't quite know how. So Well, it's one of those things where sometimes if you wing it, it turns out great. But there's always the possibility of it not turning out great. <laughs> yes. It's um, true. I'm, is there a name for this event at the Bird's Nest? Um, just Open Mic. Okay. Open Mic at the Bird's Nest, yeah. Um, so the one that's coming up will be January 20th, which presumably has passed. That will have but, passed yeah, by the time yeah. this airs. But um, they're every three months, I believe. So okay. hopefully some, some of your listeners and, and you, Kelsey, could catch one in the spring. Absolutely. And what... Um, requirements are there for open mic is it just any type of performer okay so there will be poets and there will be aerialists and someone sang last time um i think i'm going to tell a story because i'm very interested in honing my storytelling skills so i'm Mm going to try to pull something out of my my vault and just Mm -hmm. tell a little story i like that yeah um so not unlike the moth yeah exactly Mm -hmm. inspired by the moth definitely Mm -hmm. Very cool. I think I'll definitely have to check that out. And where is the bird's nest? Uh, It's 64 Fillmore Avenue uh, near the Larkin District. Okay. And they teach classes. I mean, I don't want to get overwhelming with the plugs (laughs) No, go ahead. We're all about the plugs on here. um, So there's ground acrobatic classes and, you know, acro yoga. There's kind of a lot of overlap between those two, but there, there are those ground classes. There is some traditional yoga, I think, and then there are the aerial classes, so that would be trapeze. Uh, Specifically, our teacher, Nina Vega-Westoff, teaches dance trapeze, which is a specific style. Interesting. Yeah, and then there's um, aerial silks, and that's taught by, well, one of those classes is taught by Andrew. Mm-hmm. And That's her husband. That's my husband. (laughs) And there's lira, which is like a big metal hoop that serves a lot like a trapeze. Okay, so that, I think I've seen that before. It's, like, in, suspended in the air, mm-hmm. and you kind of float around. Well, float around, people yeah. who know how to do it float around on it. It's pretty floaty and I, painful. Looks yeah. floaty, feels painful. Yeah. That's my motto. Oh, yeah, motto. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that's great. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot. It's to, a fun time. Yeah. 
It's a nice community to be involved with. It I is. Imagine. A lot of creative people. Mm-hmm. And it's a very... The vibe is community-oriented. They really... I think the Bird's Nest ultimately does want to be a community space, not just a dance studio or circus studio traditionally, but more of a community anchor and mm-hmm. something like that. Cool. I like it. I'm going to come check it out sometime. Cool. Thank you. Um, so you did mention that you are pregnant. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about your, your role as a, a mother? Sure. Now, does this connect to what does oh, it mean to be a woman today? Oh, do you want to wait? Am I, like, we can, No, we can move into those. I just had it written down, so we yeah. can, like, move into those questions if you want. I guess that it just made me think of some of the thoughts I've had regarding that particular um, line of questioning, but maybe I'm... No, that's fine. We can get to that. Do you know we've been talking for 20 minutes now? Holy moly. (laughs) So I can move into those questions. Um, Oh, actually, do you want to talk about your podcast before we talk about that stuff? So Maura also has a podcast. I do. It's a a little... It's old these days. Um, You were, I think, the first person who I had ever heard of who was making a podcast, and I think that was my like, entry into what a podcast was, because you guys were working, you were doing that a long time ago. We were, and I don't really, I I haven't really appreciated how that's pretty, that's interesting and special. Um, Yeah, my brother is just an amazing, talented sound engineer and really smart guy, Um, and he and I actually, 15 years ago, um, had a radio show on an AM station, so it was a live show. We would go in just chat for an hour, we would play music and have guests and, you know, kind of just a talk radio experience. That's cool, I Um, like that. Yeah, it was fun. The name of it is Radio Ellipsis. So That's the name of the podcast. mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, it was the name of the show when it was on the radio and then that transferred to being the name of the podcast, too. Mm -hmm. So once we stopped wanting to pay for airtime, because <laughs> that's what it was, you know, it's not like they gave it to us because we were fan- fabulous, we just <laughs> learned that there was a station you could buy airtime, mm-hmm. I think it was $50 an hour, so it was actually semi-accessible. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Is, isn't podcasting just grand that you can just do it for free? <laughs> yes, that is amazing, exactly. So once we stopped paying for it, we just started to produce it in podcast form, and it's been really, it was really fun, you know, we tended towards, again, comedy and just making fun of everything we could think of. And we would do, like, pre-recorded skits. That's what it evolved into. We would, not only, but we would always sprinkle in some kind of little jokey skits mm-hmm. and stuff. And that cool. was fun. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's Radio Ellipsis. You can find, my brother's stuff is actually worthless and free, and then Radio Ellipsis is the stuff that he and I produce together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. See, another plug. Getting plugs all know. over the place here. I don't know. It's not normal for me. Well, it's... I suppose, yeah. It's it's okay. In That's, context. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's move into some more personal questions about womanhood. So, Maura, what does it mean to you to be a woman in this day and age mm. in 2018? It's hard. Okay, no. <laughs> So, well, that, yeah, that connects back to the idea of, of motherhood, and um, I, I've i honestly been freaking out a bit, a little bit, about the new baby situation. Oh, boy. I mean, what? I said, oh, boy. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it was, um, because 
So I've become kind of oriented towards trying to figure out a meaningful career. And so now I'm facing this question. I, I refuse to accept the premise that I can't have it all, that I can't have like a strong family connection and a meaningful career. But I, I feel the pressure of that dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like, is it, am I... Am I tricking myself to think that I can really stay on track with a new tiny person around? And I want to believe that I can, and I do, but I'm scared. I think that's a fair <laughs> assessment of the situation. And I just see that, yeah, you know, it eh, connects back to, of course, like wage equality and things like that, and how, you know, Andrew and I did this together. This was definitely a joint project, this creation <laughs> of a human. But somehow, you know, physically and career-wise and lifestyle-wise, you know, I will bear the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a... There's nothing... That's just the way it is, right? Biologically. Mm -hmm. But it's... Sometimes I'm just like, not fair. Right, right. <laughs> it's a little bit of a frustration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So other than that, what does it mean? I guess I've thought about... I feel like it actually the definition of, of woman is probably more and more dynamic and, hmm, I mean, even gray in, in the sense of it's, it's not black and white anymore, right? And as we question what gender is and how do you divide sex and gender and what is the, hmm, you know, so I, I almost, I feel like I don't quite know what it means. Mm -hmm. you know? well, tell me about it. That's why I started this podcast. <laughs> to, on a, I'm on a quest to... Find out what it means. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, there is not one answer. Yeah. I like... So I really... I'll say, though... So as much as I feel like... Right... Uh, we should all have the freedom to sort of express our gender in whatever way we want and kind of label it however we want. I, on the other hand, am pretty... Um, just... I'm okay with a lot of the gender roles that have been assigned to me. Like, I loved Barbie dolls. I'll tell the truth. You know? and I, no. I loved <laughs> setting up Barbie This is, I, I, don't, okay. I think there are a lot of women that can relate to this. Yeah. I would set up everything mm -hmm. for to play with Barbies, and I would put everything in its place. <laughs> and by the time I was done getting everything set up to the way I wanted it to be, I would not want to play anymore. Really? Yeah, so wow. I was all about the setup, and then I was like, well, I'm going to play with something else now. <laughs> I would often have my, I don't know, I was a little bit of a mess. My Barbies were often naked. Right. Or, and then, and sometimes they were boyfriend and girlfriend with each other, mm -hmm. and, you know, it was, mm -hmm. we were... <laughs> living out a lot of aspects of life. Um, no, like, I guess the point is that I have felt like I, I like my womanliness, whatever that means, the things that I identify as my feminine aspects, and I feel proud of them, and I like sparkly things and purple things and, like, stuff that mm -hmm. seems sort of... And I love cooking and, like, babies. Like, it's sort of boring <laughs> in that way that I, in many ways, do like, the traditional... Western conception of like women, I guess, mm -hmm. but I but I also don't want to feel guilty about it because I just I like that I like those things, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's okay. That's yeah. totally fine. That you know, but I mean those things will come from somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's the question: Is there something innate, right, that is womanly, like that, or or? How subject are we to the forces around us that are telling us 
what is appropriate for us. Right. And, and I don't, I don't like to think that I have no willpower to choose, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think there are probably a lot of factors because what makes a person, like, let's say you had a sister and you were both raised in the same way and you were very much into like the traditional aspects of being a woman and maybe she wouldn't be. Um, and so what, what accounts for that? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The whole environment and biology being important mm -hmm. factors, like, mm -hmm. you know, and not, and one really not being dominant. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe that just from general, you know, psychological studies and what I've been exposed to, that mm -hmm. really it is a balance of what you're predisposed to mm -hmm. in your biology and then what you're exposed to in your environment. And, yeah. Mm hmm but I can relate. I mean, I I guess I would describe myself as pretty girly. <laughs> I like pink and yeah. yeah. I I guess in a stereotypical way, I fit mm -hmm. a lot of the the things that go along with the gender for sure. Yeah, but that's okay, right? Is it? It is okay, right? I think so. I think I think everything is okay. However you want to be, yeah. whatever the choices you want to make. Yes. It is all okay. I mean, if that's all that's come out of this discussion, I'm that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. That's what it means to you specifically. Do you have any mm -hmm. other thoughts in, like, the larger society mm -hmm. of what it means to be a woman? Mm -hmm. Or does that just kind of go hand in hand with what it means to you personally? I think my thoughts about it are could be like a microcosm of the way I perceive the rest of the you know uh female gender expression in our society i mean i think you know like media and the influences that that it has on people's perception of things distorts distorts everything whether mm -hmm. it's like gender or uh politics or uh anything so i guess i i feel like i don't know Generally, like, there is sort of a weird magnifying glass put on some of these aspects of our gender mm -hmm. through the media, and people do feel a lot of pressure to be a certain way based mm -hmm. on what we're told. Mm -hmm. And I feel that, too. I do. Just whenever... I've kind of, like, I don't tune in very closely to Facebook and other forms of media. I mean, I, it goes in and out. Anyway, but when I do, I definitely find myself perceiving and scrolling past certain things and all the fitness stuff and all that mm -hmm. external pressure and I'm mm -hmm. not sure what I'm even saying. <laughs> no, you're you're making a good point though yeah. that we are influenced by those things and like myself, I consider myself to be a pretty like media literate person, but at the same time I know that those things still have an influence on me in some way. Mm. Uh, but I guess the question is, how much of an influence do they have on me? Because some days it's a lot, and some days it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess just understanding understanding its potential to shape your thinking is, is helpful. And, mm -hmm. you know, so if you can take a perspective that says, like, yeah, that just, that just can take a step back mm -hmm. and, and digest the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does it mean to be a woman today in our society? This is a really hard question. <laughs> but I, I, I do. I think career. Career is the thing I'm very focused on. And that mm -hmm. I, it's sad to me that maybe many women feel that same pressure. And 
that mm-hmm. I was talking about and feel that they're sort of, you know, yeah, torn between the two, family and career, and mm-hmm. maybe that we don't support mm-hmm. women having both, you know? I mean, I would say that, like, legislatively and as, like, a society, we do not support that, um, and I wish we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think culturally we're maybe moving in a direction to which that is maybe something, a, an environment that's more conducive to that, but, I mean, in the United States we don't have things set in place for that that are helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it's interesting that, well, I don't know, like we're not more progressive than, we're actually, we're sort of an average. We're not actually more progressive than other, you know, countries which are technically considered to be developed or whatever. Right. We're sort of a little bit behind some of them. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of them. (laughs) Particularly in that area. And I think when I think about how many other countries have had female leaders. Yeah. And the fact that our country was not exactly ready for a female leader. (laughs) And now after all that's happened in the last year, that has become, become even more abundantly clear. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's just interesting that Mm -hmm. we're so far behind in that regard. Yeah, it's true. Well, okay. So, I mean, when did women, the right to vote? Was that 1920, 1919? 1919. So that's a hundred years ago. Right. (laughs) That will be, well, 1920 was federally, I believe. And Uh, 1919 was in New York state. Ah, oh. I think. Okay. New York state's like (laughs) way ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. It's good to know. But... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, that's not very long. Like, mm-hmm. there are probably people alive, well, who may not even, not quite remember. <laughs> but, like, you know, it's conceivable that there are, right. well, there definitely are people alive who were alive when, when women, women could not vote. vote. Like, in our country? Like, yeah. Well, but that's, it's unbelievable that there, at certain times throughout our country's history, like, there were people sitting in a room that were debating whether or not women were human enough to vote. And then, not even a hundred years ago, in the 1960s, there were people sitting around determining whether or not black people were human enough to vote, which is unfathomable to Uh, me. It really is. And I think it's, I don't know if, I don't know what it is about our education system that that didn't sink in until later in my life, like where I'm sure I was taught those dates, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a, a kid. But I'm like, I don't. I think it should be emphasized a little bit more because mm-hmm. it's sort of it is when you think of yeah the voting voting rights and right the sixties the sixties like my parents were alive in the sixties yes. yeah they lived through that mm-hmm. and I mean we're still working on these things. So, I mean, progress is long and hard fought, I guess. Yeah, it's helpful to revisit that idea, though, and just to remind ourselves how how recent some of these major shifts, at least politically, you mm-hmm. know, are. And then, I guess, it gives you perspective on why socially we're st- maybe still more... We're not as progressive. Like, I don't know. Right, because when you think about that, like, you know, both of those things, like you mentioned that there there are people in the world that were alive when women did not have the right to vote in the United States. 
And that means, you know, at that time, there were people that really believed that women had the right to vote, and there were also people who really believed that women should not have the right to vote. And so those attitudes don't just go away. And that's actually something I've come across um, a little bit recently just through doing some research and reading um, how many women... There were a good number of women who were opposed to women having the right to vote um, because mm-hmm. it thought they there was a thought that it would distract from, you know, the duties of a woman and that it was too much of a burden to take on this whole, like, you know, you're running the household and then still taking on this, like, intellectual burden. That's how people, some people thought of it. And I find that interesting. That's something... That's something that I don't remember really learning about at any point. Right. Yeah, that women... Uh, and that you wonder how much was that cultivated by by powerful men, maybe? Right. Just, I mean, I guess to have a, a case against women's right to vote, you maybe they needed... You needed some women on the side of that, so you have to sort of... I mean, but honestly, I'm sure they genuinely believed it. Because, again, I don't want to take away their will and say, those women didn't even really believe it. They were just bullied <laughs> into saying that. Because that's not fair. Maybe right. they did. And, you know. It's just They're probably wild. dead, so that's good. <laughs> it's just... They got their comeuppance. Crazy to think about. It is. It is. But, I mean, and you're right. Those people, they truly believed that it was the wrong thing for women to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and had... I mean, well, so then can you, can you really argue against someone's beliefs? Are beliefs something that can be uh, logically argued against? How do you, you know? Wow, that's a really, really big question. Sorry, man. (laughs) Sorry, man. Philosophy. I I don't know. Because people, I mean, a, a belief by definition is something that you come to based on faith and so I guess there isn't necessarily evidence behind a belief right right yeah yeah Yeah. but should legislation be based on a belief yeah well that's and that's the thing it's just funny we're even still struggling to uh infuse you know evidence-based uh, practice, you know, aggregating data and really using it to develop policy. That's mm-hmm. not really how it's done. Right. Even mm-hmm. still, like, like scientific measures are often not applied to policy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of numbers are thrown around. Of course, there are ways to economically make cases for things. And mm-hmm. those are, you know, that's kind of a, um, it's a quantitative way of supporting mm-hmm. policy. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's not evidence-based. It's it's more feeling, emotion-based. The way politicians appeal to us is often based on our emotions and our beliefs and not, like... I mean, any politician yeah. that people, like, gravitate towards or listen to, it's because of those feelings that mm-hmm. they arouse in us. Mm-hmm. Not generally because... I don't know, you, I think about how many people, you know, said they just they just felt that whoever the person they were voting for would get them to where they needed to be. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of the danger, right, of mm-hmm. the, and I mean, that's, well, you know, 
don't know who your listeners vote for, what their what their leaning is, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, you see that that was a big part of people's support for Trump, mm-hmm. for Mr. President Trump. <laughs> I just heard he had a checkup recently. He's like two hundred and forty pounds. Yeah, I didn't know that. But he's like a yeah. big guy. He's. It makes sense. Okay, no. There, I mean, there was some like. I just feel like he would just eat horrible food all the time. Well, I mean, I've seen a lot of pictures of him doing well, that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pictures? That's funny. Of him with, you know, like KFC and McDonald's. Really? Yeah. He's so rich. Why doesn't he just eat, like, fancy food? I this I thought I read that he was afraid that people were trying to poison him, so he was ordering food from McDonald's. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how he much sense it. <laughs> I don't know how much sense that makes, but okay. that's what I read. I don't know. Anyway, that's fine. So back to being a woman. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> so no, no, I, that was a good digression. I think mm-hmm. we covered a lot of topics, put a lot of things out there, and now I'm gonna go look up the definition of belief after. This yes. Episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Maura, what are your favorite parts of being a woman? My favorite parts. Um. I mean, breastfeeding. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know, like, that's a strange answer, right? But I think that that's one of the things that I can point to, which is, like, like, directly linked to the more deeper levels of what, what, you know, I guess from a biological perspective, this is one thing that really makes me stand apart, Mm -hmm. right, from Andrew. Right. Because he doesn't have that ability. So, I, it just popped into my mind. I don't really think... But, yeah. No, it is. I take a, I took a lot of pride in, in nursing my kids. Mm-hmm. Because maybe I think nice. that's an amazing thing, though. Like, you are keeping your children alive right. with your body. And that's something that a man physically cannot do. Yeah. And just, I guess I'm sort of like, well, what really sets me apart from other people on the street? Like, I, I don't, you know, I feel like with the whole notion that gender is more of a spectrum kind of a thing. And, like, both Andrew and I wear leggings a lot. And, (laughs) you know, leotards and other things that make us very similar. So I guess one of the things that distinguishes me is that ability. And, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it is something I have... Just has meant a lot to me. And it's it's kind of just crazy. Like, for the first year of your life, it was just me. That's it. And it's free. (laughs) Anyway. It is. That is. (laughs) I I like that answer. Mm -hmm. So then, on the flip side, what is the hardest part, or some of the Mm. hardest parts of being a woman? Mm. I mean, I guess it is, there there is a presumption that, I feel like being, uh, let's see, maybe not always being taken as seriously by uh, folks if you're in a mixed, I don't know, a setting. I feel like I've observed just that thing where it's easier for guys to get the floor and maybe you're not as you're not acknowledged as um, well I don't even know I mean I'm just thinking in like the academic setting sometimes Mm -hmm. and then the other thing I thought of was like being steered around okay here's now this is a little hey guys one thing I didn't mention I'm blind also (laughs) (laughs) so but I find that a weird dynamic where it's probably that but in combination with the fact that I'm a woman, that people often, like, strangers will kind of push me around, try to help me, Mm -hmm. but, like, they're very physical about it and just, like, Mm -hmm. grab me and touch me. And maybe they do that to guys, too, but I wonder if because I'm a woman they perceive 
I don't know. There's a more there's more patronage patronage. Hmm. Patronage, Kelsey, Pat English I, teacher, is that a good word? More being patronizing? <laughs> yeah, being, yeah. Patronized I don't, I don't know if patron, I don't know. Uh-oh, I'm being tested here. Listeners, <laughs> help us. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder Me if too. the same thing. Well, yeah, and so which is more at play there? The vulnerability of my cane that that, it, that, that reveals to people or, mm-hmm. or the vulnerability that people may perceive based on me being a woman? Like, I'm thinking of walking around, like I'm about to cross the street. Definitely, it's a weekly basis that someone will, like, come up and, like, want to help and maybe not every time actually touch me, but, like, oftentimes. There's mm-hmm. just, like, a grabbing of a hand or a shoulder or mm-hmm. an arm. Yeah. With no... Asking. Yeah, yeah no that. asking. Yeah. Just definitely like, I'm going to steer you around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do they typically steer you in the right direction? I mostly shrug them off or okay. f- avoid the contact. Sometimes, see, but it annoys me. Sometimes their will prevails and I, they just, I let them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They win and it annoy- it's annoying. And mm-hmm. no, sometimes they don't steer me in the right direction. They don't know where <laughs> I'm trying to go. <laughs> anyway. Huh, that's an interesting fact there okay thanks um okay so there are a few we're like right on time here Mm -hmm. um is there anything that you think the world needs to know about women that maybe it doesn't know at this point Hmm. it's hard to say i guess i guess i think just our strength the sheer strength and if if you can generalize that women may be, hmm. so I, I don't want to generalize too much, but if one could say that women often in our society take on multiple roles, so that's career and family and whatever else, and maybe even take on those roles to a greater extent than men do, like that's not seen as a strength necessarily, and then that can detract from like your career and coming back to that point. So I guess just acknowledging how how strong we are, and even physically though, like physical strength and mm-hmm. how that may be under-emphasized That's for women. really interesting what you just said about, you know, women, and that's something that I'm pretty sure almost every single woman has said on the show, that, you know, there there's pressure to be so many things, um, but trying to view that as a strength versus a weakness. Whereas like you said, in like the professional world, having your time and your like, um, focus divested between many things is seen as a weakness, but isn't that amazing that women are able to juggle and plan and organize all of these different things at once and you're right that we should start looking at that as a strength. Absolutely, I I feel like um, this whole stri- this whole like your greatest weakness as as being one of your greatest strengths. Like mm-hmm. I love that I love flipping weaknesses around and seeing them as like potential leverage points for mm-hmm. a lot of good. And yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, just the layers to it all. I mean, women are so multifaceted. Doesn't. Mm-hmm taking care of a family make you better equipped to be in the work world and doesn't being in the work world make you better equipped to be with your family? Absolutely. I feel like there's some some back and forth and things that you take away from each one that helps you be a more well-rounded person. Well put. Very well put. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they feed off of each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're solving some world problems here. <laughs> Guys, you can have it all, ladies. We can. That's, and so that's kind of been my motto as I've been trying to calm my my worries about the path moving forward is like, I refuse to accept the premise that I can't have it all. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, and that sounds ugh, a little bit trite, maybe, but I just, I really believe that I can have all of, all of that I can mm, experience and be involved in all the things I want to be. And I don't have to give up like a strong family for my career. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I won't do that. I refuse to do that. And I'm not vice versa. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, making a choice and sort of accepting that things will have to find a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And there may be, you know, small sacrifices that come up in different areas. But if this is your goal, I believe that you do it. Thanks. (laughs) It helps. So what changes would you like to see for women in the future? I guess the theme is is career and, and, you know, wage equity and career equality and all that. Um, So I think just more and more blurring of the lines and, like, yeah, just balance Mm -hmm. in in career settings and, um, yeah, I I don't know. Just less less belief in the fact that men and women are so different. I think Mm -hmm. both, both men and women, both sides of this dichotomy maybe need to let go a bit of the dichotomy itself and just accept that we're all like more, we're all humans Mm -hmm. kind of playing a part in this society, but the lines aren't actually as real as we think they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. We kind of create or, or like we talked about before, how much are we influenced by outside sources and taking on these roles? Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of blurring the lines between the roles. Yeah, and just so it just and thereby finding some balance, letting things being less black, black and white, a little more gray, and therefore leveling out maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that we can get there. <laughs> I want more ambiguity. I don't know. That's not, that's a, that is not a good political slogan. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to rethink that yeah. once you get into public yeah. policy. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'll work on it. <laughs> so, who are some women that you admire? Hmm, women that I admire. Um, I don't know. A lot of musicians. I I I tend to be most admiring. I think of of artists and um uh, you know Ani DeFranco hometown girl <laughs> um Joni Mitchell you know just these women who write beautiful poetry and then also play all the instruments and just you know storytellers I think mm-hmm. yeah um I'm trying to think of any even just authors female authors now I can't think of any. I'm like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> like, oh, I Which, don't know if that's smart enough for this podcast. Oh no, but... please, we love J.K. Rowling okay, okay, here. Good, good. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a that's a quick that's a short list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like forgot it. to be prepared with the long list. No, that's okay. That's a yeah. that's a solid list. Okay. Um, so I think we will move into stories of subversion now. Um, and so I have one. And it's just kind of a a short one. So we are in the week of um, the day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And um, this episode will come out a little bit later. Um, So we're a little bit like behind the times here by the time you guys hear this. I'm going to talk about Coretta Scott King, who is 
among many other things, um, the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. And apart from that, she was an activist, an author, and a civil rights leader. And she's often been referred to as the first lady of the civil rights movement. Reading about their life together, there have been a lot of, like, there have been, I think there's a movie and some TV shows and some um, some writings about their life together. Um, but something that stuck out to me, because and Laura and I were just talking about this, um, she actually had this really strong desire to be a singer, and she was really into music. Um, but then when she married Martin Luther King and he became a pastor um, of a Baptist church, she actually had to give that up in the name of their marriage, in the name of this new role he was taking on, um, and in the name of their activism really taking off. So I find that interesting that she did have to make you know, this sacrifice in order to put her husband in this position. Um, but it was also the 60s, so things were a little bit different than they are now. Um, and so she was definitely in the public eye and was was a major advocate for um, civil rights and also for women's rights. And after her husband's assassination, she um, did a lot in his name. She created the King Center, which is a memorial that's dedicated to his legacy. Um, and she was the one who really pushed for making his birthday a national holiday. Um, I mean, obviously, she was successful with that endeavor. And under the Reagan administration, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, was created. And she, like I said, she was active in the civil rights movement and the women's rights the women's rights movement, and um, in the early 90s, she became an advocate in the opposition of apartheid, and um, later in her life was a champion for LGBTQ rights, um, and so she really was just a champion for many groups that needed that activism, um, and she actually died in 2006, so uh, we've been without her for a little while now, uh, but I just wanted to honor her um, as a subversive woman. That's beautiful. She, I, all things I did not know about her, and that, you know, just getting a glimpse into, into those aspects of her life, you know, her her music and giving that up mm -hmm. in support of, you know, her husband first maybe, but then also this very important cause. Mm -hmm. Ah, just and thinking like how well that story hasn't isn't told, and and then. Just how history doesn't necessarily tell the stories of the women who are just as important and play a strong role in these events as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we just tend to focus on the more, you know, the the, the, the male roles. And it's interesting. Right. I really don't remember learning that much about her um, throughout school yeah. and throughout, you know, like we talk about her husband so much, which yeah. rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a driving force behind him as right. well. Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping in the future that we do, we are able to recognize more of the women that are in these roles. We are more than just the wind making their wings. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, just think about she lived most of her life without him. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. continued her mm -hmm. activism and work. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that she, you know, more than likely would have continued that right up until she died. But I, I know for a few years before she passed away, she was sick. I think she had a stroke at some point. Um, so that kind of took her out of it a little bit. But yeah. um, prior to that, she was doing her thing. Hmm. That's that's cool. That's mm -hmm. very... I, I appreciate your uh, just reminding me 
you know, that there are these huge pieces of history that aren't told. Yeah, mm -hmm. that we're not really exposed to. Mm -hmm. Well, huge pieces, but individuals that mm -hmm. play a role in the lives of the people that we are familiar with. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Something to consider. Mm -hmm. All right, so we have come to the end of our episode. So Oh, wait, I have five more things to talk about. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that we that you would like to add? Anything that we didn't touch on? Hmm. Ah, nothing that I can think of. Um, it's a pleasure to, to explore these things, and I, I kind of enjoy that pretty much these are conversations are just opportunities to generate more questions and mm -hmm. you know that it is just this process of generating new questions and maybe coming to some conclusions but that's it's a very healthy thing and i think i don't know more, more dialogue is always better so i appreciate the opportunity kelsey well, thank you thank you so much for being here yeah, I agree. I think that's really important. And that's, you know, I started this podcast with a list of questions. And now I've, as you said, I've kind of after 24 episodes, now I have a list of new questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our understanding of womanhood is ever evolving and ever changing. So here we are. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, if you are looking to find us on social media, you can find us at Womankind Podcast on both Facebook and on Instagram. Um, if you would like to listen or help someone else listen, you can go to our website, which is www.womankindpodcast.com, or you can email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so, Maura, thank you so much for being here. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> I appreciate the invitation. Thank you, Kelsey. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye, friends.